The British were furious over alleged American intelligence leaks about the Manchester bombing, including the suspect's name and pictures of bomb parts. Prime Minister Theresa May said she would raise the issue with President Trump on the sidelines of yesterday's NATO summit in Brussels. I will make clear to President Trump that intelligence that is shared between our law enforcement agencies must remain secure. And after May's complaint to Trump, he said the U.S. would investigate the alleged leaks, which were deeply troubling. Our guests are Andrew Kent, professor at Fordham University Law School, and Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Said. Andrew, I should point out that these leaks came after Trump himself disclosed sensitive information about Islamic State in a meeting with Russian officials. But will this affect intelligence sharing with the U.K.? Yeah, I think it's hard to say. I mean, I I read pretty carefully the different news accounts of this, and from what I can tell, it's still unclear from whose side, you know, whether it's the the American or the U.S. side, the leaks came. I mean, it seems Prime Minister May thinks it's from the American side, and and maybe it is. Um, But, you know, these kinds of leaks are pretty common. You know, the photos published by the New York Times uh, did not, uh, you know, I mean, they're crime scene photos, but did not seem to be amazingly sensitive, not not on the, on, on the same order of the kind of thing that President Trump apparently disclosed. So uh, I would be surprised if a, you know, decades-long, incredibly strong and fruitful intelligence relationship between the U.K. and the United States is, you know, meaningfully harmed by this. But, you know, it certainly doesn't help. Bradley, uh, the Justice Department apparently is going to look into this. What what laws conceivably could have been broken by the, the leak of this information? Uh, well, by and large, the standard ones we've heard with respect to any leak of classified information, even classified information that's been shared by a, for, uh, a foreign partner government, could uh, conceivably fall under one of various statutory provisions under the Espionage Act or uh, a couple different ones with respect to misdemeanors for uh, improperly removing uh, classified information or what's called national defense information. So any one of those uh, particular provisions that always get raised with any leak of classified information could be implicated. The question, of course, is who, you know, even assuming that this was a leak from the U.S. side, what particular agencies or organizations within the U.S. government would have received it? And was it from the intelligence community or was it coming from White House officials? We just don't know yet. Well, now, is this information actually classified? Would you expect that to be the case? Bradley? From what from what has been described, I am candidly not certain. It sounds like it was likely at least sensitive whether or not it met the definition for classified is kind of up in the air. And that's going to be part of the problem is there's very clear statutory provisions in U.S. law for criminalizing people who leak classified information. When it comes to unclassified but sensitive information, it's a lot harder to make a criminal case, if at all. And if that's what we have here, if it's information that's not classified, it's a basis for possibly firing the person who leaked it, but making a criminal case is far more difficult. Andrew, is there a contrast between the U.S. and the U.K. when it comes to press leaking? We have the First Amendment and the British have the Official Secrets Act. So it seems as if there might be, you know, a disconnect. 
What you say, June, is absolutely right. I mean, there are you know kind of cultural and legal differences. But if it's a U.S. employee who uh, you know has a, a duty uh, as part of their job and also under U.S. law not to disclose classified information, then the First Amendment is not going to protect that person. You know, we really have First Amendment kinds of questions here when we talk about news organizations, and then obviously the hard types of questions when you're talking like something like WikiLeaks, which might be somewhere between a news organization and a criminal organization. But a but a U.S. government official, uh, you know, can't leak, uh, notwithstanding the First Amendment. And uh, Bradley, is it since Andrew mentioned news organizations, uh, we only have about thirty seconds, but it's it's clear that the New York Times could not be prosecuted for for publishing this information. Is that correct? Yeah, not unless the Department of Justice is going to throw away decades of. Uh, institutional precedent. No media organization will be criminally prosecuted for publishing information, even if it was classified. They wouldn't want to risk the First Amendment uh, challenges. Jared Kushner is not just another White House staffer. He's not only the president's son-in-law, but one of Trump's closest advisors. Now the person in the inner circle who is family is being investigated by the FBI in its probe of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election, according to the Washington Post. This means that Kushner is the first current White House official now connected to the investigation. Kushner also admitted, omitted mentioning his contacts with the Russians when applying for top security clearance, as did Attorney General Jeff Sessions. We've been talking with Andrew Kent, professor at Fordham University Law School, and Bradley Moss, partner at Mark Zaid. Brad, Kushner is a person of interest, but not a target. Explain the difference and how often a person of interest becomes a target. Sure. So a person of interest just means there he has vital or not even vital. He has material information, relevant information, and relevant uh, personal knowledge of details that's uh, informative for the purposes of this investigation. What that is is not entirely clear. It seems that at least some of it has to do with financial information. Another part has to do with the data analytics program that the Trump campaign was running and the concern that appears to be in the FBI uh, that there was some elements of collusion in terms of how different Facebook ads and Facebook messages were sent out and possible collusion with Russian officials. So that seems to at least be part of where the focus is. It doesn't mean, as you you know, it doesn't mean that he's going to become a target of the investigation, that he's going to be indicted. He may never become so. It's not at all uncommon for people who are simply a person of interest to never become anything more than a witness at most in a you know, subsequent criminal prosecution. They don't necessarily turn into targets. And that may be all that he actually is in the end with respect to this investigation. Andrew, based on on what we know from uh, what's public now, why might investigators be interested particularly in Jared Kushner? What is it about him? Well, certainly he's a way of finding out what the president knew without uh, directly questioning the president. He's, you know, he may be, uh, you know, his closest advisor, and certainly is is one of the very closest, and presumably communicated with his father-in-law quite frequently. So, you know, it's it's a unique level of access into the, you know what knowledge uh, and uh, President Trump had, and, and what things he said and did, and also, uh, you know. 
as Brad was saying, Kushner seems to have been uh, you know, potentially involved in a number of, of things of interest, including you know, the potential collusion, uh, potential financial ties between um, between Trump and, uh, uh, and and Russian state-owned banks. So there's a number of um, of, of things that are, seem to be of interest to the FBI that, that Kushner was also involved in, um, and so it's natural to talk to him, even if even if he weren't uh, this kind of unique way to look into um, the, you know, the knowledge of Trump himself. Brad, Jamie Gorlick, one of Kushner's attorneys, said that he's previously volunteered to share with Congress what he knows about these meetings, and he'll do the same if he's contacted in connection with any other inquiry. That's easy to say, and uh, then if it gets close to, to a situation that's tenuous, it's easy to take it back. Correct. There's nothing that prevents Jared Kushner from Withdrawal, as a withdrawing, but modifying the level of his cooperation, possibly invoking uh, any type of, uh, and not too, I can't think of too many privileges that someone in his position might hold, but trying to invoke any proprietary or corporate style privileges that would, he would hold over certain information. There's nothing that stops him, and we have no idea in the course of the FBI investigation or the congressional investigations how he would exactly respond to questions and how much detail he can and would provide. So right now, this is a lot of posturing. We'll see as things proceed um, what he actually does. Andrew, the Post reported that uh, Jared Kushner had, had some meetings with the Russian ambassador before the inauguration, meetings with a banker whose bank was affected by the, uh, the sanctions against Russia. Um, the, the, there's also this week testimony by the CIA director, former CIA director John Brennan, who talked about Russia trying to get people to, to act on their behalf, um, either he put it either wittingly or unwittingly. Um, does all that stuff sort of fit together? Is that is that potentially what's going on here with this inquiry? Well, there's also reports this week that you know, U.S. intelligence had intercepted communications where the Russian intelligence was talking about being able to influence Trump through influencing people close to him. Uh, you know, people speculated that I was talking about Michael Flynn or Paul Manafort, but that could also have been, you know, Jared Kushner as well. Um, so, uh, you know, this, this might all fit together. You know, there's still an enormous amount we don't know, um, but. You know, Kushner does seem like he was, uh, you know, a central player in the campaign um, on those aspects that, you know, potentially were, were, were touching uh, Russian involvement if, if that happened. And then, as you know, as you said, and, and I mentioned, you know, the financial relationship that, um, you know, that his father-in-law might have with uh, with Russian entities. You know, Kushner could be, um, you know, Kushner could have knowledge of that or, or even some involvement in that, too. So, you know, it might all add up to collusion or to, to Russia having financial leverage over President Trump, or it might not. Um, um, you know, I don't. I don't think we know, but you know, the FBI is obviously interested. And also, let's talk a little bit, of Brad, about the security clearance. Kushner omitted mentioning his contacts with the Russians when applying for top security clearance, and so did Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who said that he was told not to by advisors in the FBI. The, and then they say, "Well, we'll correct that now." What does it show when they don't initially disclose that? Yeah, 
I'll, I'll just put it very succinctly in terms of recent events. If this were one of my clients, a rank and file person who had made that type of omission, they would have been body slammed by uh, security for having done it. Uh, these are very serious forms. It's very lengthy. It's very time consuming, but it's a very necessary form to hold a security clearance, and you submit it under penalty of perjury. The fact that both Jared Kushner and uh, Attorney General uh, Sessions omitted this information for reasons that, especially with Jared Kushner, I don't still to this day grasp in terms of why he thought he didn't have to report the information on the form, you know, what reason he was signing it without submitting that information, just is flabbergasting. I don't know if it's arrogance. I don't know if it's just a uh, level of incompetence or what it is here. I don't want to assume bad faith. I don't want to assume this is part of a larger plot. But even if it's inadvertent, it raises questions and it feeds this narrative that there's something more to it, that of all the things to forget and to leave off your form, you leave off the contacts with the Russians, which is what's being investigated by Congress and the FBI. It just feeds this ongoing media narrative. Seems to be a lot of body slamming going on lately. Um, I, I don't know about that reference as, as a journalist. I don't know if I like being all the talk of body slamming. Um, we have about 30 seconds. Andrew, do you agree? I do. I, 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 it's amazing how it's always the Russian stuff that gets omitted and forgotten, you know, whether it's on testimony or on uh, on the security clearance forms. Uh, there might well be an innocent explanation for it. Uh, it might well be incompetence. You know, we certainly have seen a whole lot of incompetence and sloppiness with uh, members of this administration so far, but it really does not look good. Well, I want to thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. As always, that's Professor Andrew Kent from Fordham University Law School and Bradley Moss, partner at Mark Zaid. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. Thanks to our technical director, Chris Tricomi, and our producer, David Sutterman. Coming up next, Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson. I'm June Grosso with Greg Storr. Have a great long holiday weekend. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.